So if you have your Bible here today, please turn over to the Old Testament book of First Kings. Uh, now, today we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, we finally finished up our Revelation study. And so today, we're going to be beginning a study about the prophet Elisha. And one thing you're going to notice about the prophet of Elisha as we study his life is that he was a miracle man. In fact, he did more miracles than any other Old Testament prophet that ever lived. And so we're going to call this series Miracle Man. And we are in 1 Kings 19 today. But in 1936, a young man felt the Lord calling him to be a preacher. And so the next step for him was, of course, to attend Bible college. However, since this young man grew up on a poor dairy farm where there wasn't much money in store, if he was going to go to Bible college, he couldn't rely on his parents to pay for the tuition. Instead, if he was going to attend classes in the fall, this energetic young man was going to have to get out that summer and earn the money for his Bible college himself. And so the young man took a job as a traveling salesman for the Fuller Brush Company. <laughs> and every day he would knock on doors and attempt to peddle brushes and other household items to whoever would listen to his sales pitch. Well, the young man took to the job like bear rabbit to the briar patch. He was charismatic, he was personable, he was well informed about every item that was in the catalog, and it was clear on the first week that this guy was a natural salesman. But he also faced a lot of rejection along the way. He was accosted by snarling dogs. Uh, he was told no more times than he could count. On one occasion, he rang the doorbell and a lady threw a bucket of water from an upstairs window onto his head. But undaunted, this young man persevered. And it, the experience of being a door-to-door -door salesman proved to be the perfect training ground. Because he was interacting every day with all kinds of people those people, many of which who would rather shut the door in his face. And so that forced him to be a good communicator. By the end of the summer, the young man was not only the top salesman in the Fuller Brush Company, but he had earned enough money to attend Bible college the coming semester. And interestingly, he would always begin his sales pitch the same way. Hello, ma'am. My name is Billy Graham, and I'm your Fuller Brush Man. And so believe it or not, that's how the world's greatest evangelist got his start. Instead of preaching the Bible, he began by preaching about brushes. Now there's nothing quite like a success story with humble beginnings. And maybe that's one reason why the men and women of the Bible resonate with us so well. Because the characters that we come to know and love in the Word of God are ordinary people who are called by God to an extraordinary purpose. And it just goes to show that no matter where you start in life, it's not about where you start, it's about how you finish. And if ever there were a 
country bumpkin that God called from an obscure background, it has to be the prophet Elisha. Now, don't get him confused with his predecessor, Elijah. Elisha was handpicked by Elijah to be his successor in the prophetic ministry. And Elisha lived during a time of national division and spiritual darkness, much like the day in which we are living. Now, by Elisha's time, God's people had been divided for about a hundred years into two separate kingdoms. You had Israel in the north, and you had Judah in the south. The northern kingdom was backslidden. It was idolatrous. And in fact, they had a long string of kings who, according to this book, 1 Kings, they all did evil in the sight of the Lord. They were all wicked. In fact, during that entire history of the northern kingdom, there were 20 kings who sat on the throne, and the Bible says that every one of them were wicked. And so, that's where Elisha's ministry takes off. Now, in much of 1 Kings, we read about Elijah's ministry. And in fact, it has pitted him against the worst of all the northern kings to ever rule a man named Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. And it's on the hills of Elijah's great victory where he goes on top of Mount Carmel and he calls down fire from heaven and he defeats the prophets of Baal. It's on the hills of that that his pupil Elisha comes into focus. So if you are reading in 1 Kings chapter 19, you'll notice that after this great victory in verse 16, the prophet is given his next assignment. And the Lord said unto him, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And watch this. And Elisha the son of Shephat, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And so Elijah is given the word by God to go and anoint, select and find his replacement, a man named Elisha. So in this message, what we're going to do is we're going to study the calling of Elisha to the prophetic ministry, and we're going to notice how this young man responds with radical, immediate, and complete obedience at this opportunity to serve God. And I pray that this message will be a challenge to you today. The title of our message is, Burn the Plows. And if you're taking notes... The first thing that we see is, number one, the calling from an ordinary life. The calling from an ordinary life. Stay there in chapter 19 and flip over to verse 19 and we'll read. So he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shephat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. What a strange calling. <laughs> what an incredible response. 
So we see, number one, the calling from an ordinary life. Now, as we are introduced to this character, Elisha, there's really nothing special about him upon a first glance. Can you picture him out there in the field? The sweat is rolling off of his forehead. Here's a gaunt, sun-baked figure covered with a layer of dirt. If you were to shake his hand, I guarantee you it would be rough as sandpaper. This was a farm boy. This was a country bumpkin. This was a guy from out in the sticks. And yet, as a farm boy, don't you know that his life was a routine of monotony? Wake up, feed the animals, clean the stalls, plow, plant, harvest, repeat the same routine every day of his life. And look at his office. His office didn't come with a great view either. Because when you are plowing every day, all you see is rear ends 24-7. And so, Elisha's life could not have been more ordinary, more repetitive, more monotonous, more boring. I know some of you out here may be able to relate to that. Not to say that your life is boring, but to say that maybe you feel as if you are stuck in a rut of the same old thing every day. Maybe your rut is a loveless marriage. Maybe you feel trapped today in a work situation that has you in a grind every single day. Mothers know a whole lot about this because moms deal with a constant stream of dirty dishes and laundry and diapers. You may have a call to a job or a ministry or a dream, but you're stuck in a situation and you don't know how you're going to get to the next step. Maybe your rut might be darker today. You could be stuck in a routine that involves an addiction or a deep valley of depression or maybe it's some kind of secret sin. Elisha's life was that he was chained to the tyranny of the same old thing until God sent the prophet Elijah his way. God interrupted that day when the prophet stepped into his field. Now what's interesting, as you read this story, you get no indication from the text that when Elisha rolled out of bed that day, there's no indication that what he was going to do that day was going to be life-changing. It was just another day on the farm. But friend, I'm telling you that God interrupts the routine. In fact, think about this. Sometimes the greatest callings in life come when we least expect it. I know this because I have lived it. I can tell you about a divine interruption from my own personal experience. I'll never forget the day that changed my life a few years ago. It was a normal day just like every other day. I was in my early 20s. I was at that time going to my home church, Pole Creek Baptist. I was attending a Sunday school class for singles. And I got a phone call one day from the teacher of that class. And he said, Derek, he said, I've got a medical issue coming up with me. He said, I'm going to have to go and have a surgery. And I'm going to be out for several weeks. And I need somebody reliable who can take over the class and teach in my place while I'm on medical leave. Would you be willing to fill in for me while I'm gone? Of course, I wanted to help the guy out. I didn't know what I was about to get into. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll help you out. I'll, I'll teach you class. Little did he know, I had never taught a Sunday school class in my life. 
I didn't know what I was doing at all. That, what, that day, I'm telling you, was just as significant for my spiritual journey and my spiritual growth as the day when Elijah showed up in Elisha's field, threw his cloak over him and said, follow me. You see, that was over 15 years ago. And since then, friend, I can look back. There haven't been many Sundays since that day where I haven't been teaching or preaching God's Word in some way because God unexpectedly interrupted my life and said, Derek, I have a calling. I have a purpose. I have a reason for you to get up. And what I'm telling you today is that God's callings come from an ordinary life. Now, we read here an interesting action takes place. Elijah passed by him, verse 19 says, and cast his cloak upon him. How strange. The action of this casting of the cloak over the shoulders was a message in and of itself. You see, in these days in the Old Testament, this was a symbolic way of passing on the altar of prophet or preacher to another. And so in essence, what Elijah was saying to his protege by this act was God's anointing and power which has covered my life is now being transferred to you, Elisha. God has selected you. He's called you out. Now what's the application of all this? I wrote this down in my notes this week. I hope this is a challenge to you. It's this, God calls us from an ordinary place to an extraordinary purpose. In fact, you can trace this pattern all throughout the Bible. You see it over and over again. God calls Abraham to leave Ur and go to a land that would be in his inheritance which he's never laid eyes on. God calls Moses and God calls David to be great leaders and great men of God. And when He called them, what were they doing? They were tending sheep. They were in the pasture. God showed up and, and, and called one of the, the, the great judges, Gideon, while he was hiding in a cistern, hiding in a pit from the enemy. And He called him out and said, Gideon, you're going to be the one that's going to lead my people in battle to victory. Jesus was walking the dusty streets of the city, and he came to Matthew's tax collector booth, and he said, Matthew, I've got a purpose for you. He went to the Sea of, uh, of Galilee and stood there on the shores, on the bow of Peter's boat, and after he took in that record catch, he said, all right now, Peter, you follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. You see, God calls us from an ordinary place to an extraordinary purpose. And the great tragedy of so many Christian lives is that there are so many out there in churches who haven't answered the call yet. They haven't said yes to God. Yes, God, you can use me in the choir. Yes, God, you can use me in the kitchen. Yes, God, you can use me on the mission field. Yes, God, you can use me in the Sunday school class. You may feel like you're trapped today in some kind of ordinary existence but let me tell you that's where God's great things start in the ordinary like Elisha 
you may look at your life right now and you don't see a connection between what you're doing now and maybe what God is calling you to do, but you can be assured of two things. I know two things in my life. Number one, God is always working in the background when you don't think He's working. And number two, God never wastes anything that He's going to use to prepare us for the purpose that He has. He never wastes anything. That experience, that season, that trial, that thing that you've been through in your life that you think God can't use it, God's going to use it in your ministry to bless somebody else. Elisha didn't know it, but he would go from plowing up hard ground to plowing up hard hearts. God even used this old country boy, this plowman for his great glory. You see, the connection between your present monotony and your future mission is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Keep doing what you know God has for you now until He opens that door for you to take the next step. And when the door opens, don't say no. Say, yes, God, I'll walk through and I'll go down this road with you even though I may not know where it leads. You see, there's, number one, a calling from an ordinary life. Are you satisfied with your life right now? Are you content where you are? If you are, then you can't even take step number one. There has to be a little bit of dissatisfaction in your life to say, I can go further for God. I can do more. I can give more. I can serve in a new and different way. And God can call you from where you are to something incredible. So we see the calling from an ordinary life. Number two, I want you to notice in this text, the courage of an obedient life. It takes courage to step out into the unknown. Notice what verse 20 says. And he left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? As you read this story, you get the sense that Elijah is testing the commitment level of Elisha. And so... He tossed his mantle on Elisha. And notice this. He doesn't really explain a whole lot about the mission. He just keeps walking. And once Elisha realized what was going on, he has to ditch the plow and run after the prophet before he is out of sight. You notice something about God's calling? It's this, God's calling usually comes only once and we have just a brief window of time to respond to it. God calls, God whispers, God tugs at your heart and you only have a little bit of time to say, yes God, I'll do that. And if you say no or you let the moment slip by, God will move on to the next person who will be used by Him. Elisha realized, hey, this prophet is coming through my field only today and I've only got this moment right now to respond to the calling of God. We procrastinate. We put it off and we say, God, I'll follow you when i got more money in the bank. God, I'll follow you when my health is better. God, I'll follow you when I've raised my kids or when I've got this situation out of my way. Friend, it's never a bad time to start following God. We put it off. But notice the courage of Elisha. He says, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to follow this man right now. And what strikes me most about Elisha, he's willing to go and he has almost no information. 
Elijah doesn't explain where they're going, what they'll be doing, how long they'll be doing it, what to bring along for the journey, or any of the details that any of us would like to know before setting out on a great adventure. He just drops what he's doing and leaves. Here's a second application that I notice. Something that you can put into practice in your life right now. Here it is. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Let me say that again. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. When God calls you to the next journey, the next step, the next open door, listen friend, don't expect Him to hand you a detailed map of the journey beforehand. Chances are God's not going to give you the 5, the 10, the 15, the 20 year plan. And there's not probably going to be a great big booming voice and an opening of the skies and God lay out the whole future. It's not going to happen. He's not going to divulge how He's going to meet your need along the way. He just comes and says, Trust me, follow me, walk with me, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you have never seen before. Just take that first step. I can tell you, that if you will be obedient and you will get going, God will do the showing. But you got to get going, and when you get going, God will do the showing. You see, we want specifics. God wants submission. We ask for forecasts. God says, I want faith. We expect timelines. God expects trust. We're comfortable with plans, and God says, I give you my promises. Several years ago, in fact, a couple of centuries ago, there were some brave, intrepid souls known as one-way missionaries. What this meant is that they bought tickets to the mission field with no intention of returning home. Instead of suitcases, they packed coffins. They took all their earthly belongings that they would need and they put them in a wood coffin. And as they sailed away, they waved goodbye to everyone that they loved and knew on the earth because they knew that as they set sail for that land that God had called them to, they would never come back home. One of these men who answered this call was named A.W. Milne. He was one of these one-way missionaries. He set sail for a place called the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. He knew as he went there that there were headhunters, that there were cannibals, and that every missionary who had tried to reach the people there had been killed. But he went anyway. He packed his coffin. He spent 35 years there ministering among the tribes people there. And when he died, the people so revered and respected this man of God that they buried him in the middle of the village. And on his tombstone, he had this inscribed, when he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. What an epitaph. What a legacy. What a challenge to be obedient. How could God say that about you? Maybe in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. Another intrepid soul that was cut from that same cloth was a Methodist missionary named James Calvert. He was committed to reaching the people of the Fiji Islands. It's widely reported that upon the voyage, as they were going across the ocean, headed to that faraway place, the captain on the ship told him, he said, you're crazy. If you go and try and reach these people, you're going to lose your life. There's cannibals there. They'll club you, skin you, and eat you. Calvert 
turned to the captain and he said, Friend, I died before I got on this boat. In other words, what he meant is that he understood taking up a cross, dying to himself, submitting to the Lord, and going forward from there. That's the courage of an obedient life. Remember what Hebrews 11.6 says? Hebrews 11.6 And without faith is it impossible to please Him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. Our obedience wouldn't require faith if we had all the details before we took the journey. And that step of obedience may feel like losing control in your life, but friend, there is great freedom in trusting God because when you do, God takes your obedience and works it for good to bring about an outcome. Obedience is our part. Outcome is God's part. And so we see not only the calling from an ordinary life, and number two, the courage of an obedient life, but look at this challenge, number three. The commitment towards the opportunity of a life. Verse 21, let's read it again. And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them and broiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Elisha's my kind of guy. He has a barbecue before he leaves. Before I go out and work, I won't have a full stomach, right? Work better with a full stomach, amen? Now you read this and you think, wow, this is extreme. What is this all about? He kills the cows and he burns the plows. <laughs> but what he's doing is he's making a powerful statement about his commitment to the Lord and to Elijah. You see, he wants his mentor to know that he is accepting the call and he wants God to know that he is serious about what he is asking him to do. He is showing that he is all in for God. So he kills the cows and he burns the plows. And what he's doing here is he's making a decisive break from his old life. He's saying... I'm willing to leave behind my source of livelihood, all that I know, my job, my security. I'm leaving all that behind, my comfort zone, my plans. All those are burned up, and now I'm going into the great blue with God. Reminds me of a story from history. There was an explorer named Hernan Cortez in the year 1519. He, along with about 600 Spaniards came to the Americas. They came over on 11 boats loaded down with materials and horses and all kinds of things that they would need. They landed in Mexico and the goal was to lead an expedition into this country because they wanted to find the vast treasures of the country. And when the men and the material were brought on to the shore, Cortez turned to his first mate and he gave a shocking command. He said, burn the boats. He said, what did you say? He said, burn the boats. You see, the purpose was simple. He didn't want his men to have any hope, any thought of retreat. If the fighting got too fierce or the expedition got too exhausting, there would be no talk of sailing home because the boats were burned. Like it or not, 
Her name, Cortez, and those men were committed to what they were doing. Friends, here's what I want to say to you today. If you're going to be totally committed to the call of God, it's going to require for us to bring out the gasoline and matches. I don't mean that literally, but what I mean is that when you respond to God's call, you can't step into that new life until you leave behind whatever is tethering you to that old life. That's the principle. Write it down. It's coming up on the screen. When responding to God's call, you can't step into your new life until you leave behind whatever is tethering you to the old life. In other words, if you want to step towards your God-given role, your God-given purpose, your God-given destiny, you have to walk away from the past, walk away from your security, walk away from your sin, and go with God. So some of us need to burn our plows. What does that mean? It means we need to cut ties with what is tying us down. It may be a job. You have a great job. It's a, it's a well-paying job. But you know that God has placed a higher calling on your life and you haven't found the courage yet to stop that job and say, I'm done with that. I'm going to follow God what has for me over here. It might mean a lifestyle. You might be living a lifestyle that's too comfortable, that's too self-absorbed. And God wants to push you out of that comfort zone into something greater and you have to burn the plow, so to speak. It might be a relationship. Maybe you are in a relationship with somebody and it's holding you back from being the person that God wants you to be. And you need to get rid of that relationship. Old friends or... Somebody that you know you're not supposed to be around. Your plow might be some sin. Something that is constantly tripping you up. Something that you can't get victory over. That is still lingering around in your life. You've allowed it to come back over and over and over again. Because you haven't actually broken with it. You haven't said enough is enough. I'm setting fire to this. And I'm going forward for Jesus Christ. Some of us need to do some soul searching today and say, am I really following God with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul? And I know as you hear that, you think, gosh, Derek, that sounds really risky. But here's the thing. Some folk, listen to me, some folk will never get God's best for their life because they aren't willing to give up good they trade good for God's best. And God wants you to have the best, but you won't set fire to good. And if you can't break from the old life, you can't start the new life and the new calling that God has for you. I promise you this. The real loss isn't taking the risk with God. The real loss is staying in the life that you've always known. The life of the ordinary. The life of not really following God with your full heart. So yes, is the cost of following Jesus great? Yes, it's great. But friend, the cost of not following Jesus is even greater. There was only one opportunity for Elisha to respond. He took the moment. He obeyed courageously. He was committed all in. And he said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know the one who holds the future, and He'll make a way for me. Luke 9.23, Jesus said this, 
Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. You see, when Christ calls a man or a woman, He bids them to come and die. To die to the old. To die to the past. To let go. To start over. To trust Him for a new beginning and a new adventure. And so I'm asking you today, what is holding you back? What has God asked you to do? And, and you know there's a greater purpose, another calling, and another level that He wants to take you on. But you haven't made that step yet. I'm challenging you today. It's time to burn the plow. Henry Dunant was one of these who had to find the courage to do this. He lived in the 19th century. He was wealthy. He was a Swiss banker. He had it made. The guy was worth millions. He worked for a Swiss bank. And he was sent to France to work out a, a business deal with Napoleon. Napoleon, the greatest and most feared general on the earth at this time. He was conquering all of Europe. And so this very successful banker goes to France and he shows up to Paris and he asks where Napoleon is and his helpers say, well, he's not here. He's in Italy. He's on a battlefield. He's fighting a war right now. Durant was so eager to secure the lucrative deal with Napoleon that he got back on his carriage and he went with horses galloping down to the battlefront in Italy to meet Napoleon personally. He got there just as the bugles were blasting and he saw the thundering charge of Napoleon's troops and Dunant had never witnessed the carnage of a battlefield before, but when he got there, he watched and is in horror as cannonballs ripped through flesh and the land became littered with dying and bleeding and mangled men. Dunant, he was a Christian man, and when he saw the bloodshed, the carnage, he was so devastated by that that he decided that he was going to stay there and do what he can to help the doctors retrieve the wounded. So they took him into churches and farmhouses and and he helped to bandage and care for the wounded soldiers. Well, after that was over, he went back to Switzerland. He got the deal done with Napoleon, but he couldn't sleep. He was haunted by the images of war. He couldn't keep his mind on banking. In fact, he almost lost his whole fortune. He was so distracted by what he felt God was calling him to do. He knew that he had seen something and it had changed him and he had to make a different, different step in his life. He wrote in his journal, he said this, he said, I have a sense of God's sovereignty. I am aware of a vague yet profound idea that what God is calling me to do is His will. It seems to me that I have something greater to accomplish in life than amassing wealth. I have been given a sacred duty from God that I know will have infinite fruit for mankind. And so, this man do not. He walked away from banking. He gave away most of his fortune. He took what, what he had left over and he said, I'm committing it to humankind and I'm committing it to serving God. In other words, he burned his plow. He started an organization. 
an organization which would save millions of lives and give help to victims all across the world. And you know what that organization was? The Red Cross. He started it. He let go of his old life because he felt like God had changed him, God had called him to something new, and he began a new journey with God. Friend, what would your life look like if you did the same thing? You see, Jesus is calling us today. He's calling us to go further in faith. He's calling us to go deeper in commitment. He's calling us to go higher with Him. Are you willing to take that step? 